Have you ever noticed that even when human beings try to deny God, everything they do still points back to him, right? They, they, they fight against the idea, they push against the idea, and yet e- even in their fighting and their pushing and their quest to try to develop their own way, their own thing, really they're just echoing there, there is a creator and, and that we were made to imitate him. It's like, it's like deep within our souls, God has engineered that, that we are just to image him. Even when we are being sinful and even when we are trying to do these things that God says we shouldn't do, we, there's still this hint of what we should do. That we were to be creators like he is a creator. I think Ecclesiastes captures this best in Ecclesiastes 3.11. He says, He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. Each and every one of us know on some level, even if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, there's a part of you inside that's screaming, there's more than just what you see. There's more to life than just what you're living and you can deny it and you can try to push it down and you can try to stuff it away. But God has set eternity in your heart. We are eternal creatures. The question is, where are we going to reside in that eternity? This is one of the the many reasons that, that I know that the Bible is true. Because I, I look at the pattern, I see the, the things that God has written, I see the trajectory in which God is taking this world, and, and I see how we can't help but imitate Him. Again, even when we're denying Him, we're still imitating Him. And over the last couple of uh, Psalms, we, we've been working our way through, and, and we've come to this idea of the city of God. And that got me to thinking about all of the cities in our world and, and how we build these massive buildings. I know Vicki loves getting on planes and just taking these little day trips and seeing this city and this city. And every city's different. It's got a different feel to it. The architecture's slightly different. And, and it's it's really at the heart of it. Men and women trying to establish a legacy and a name for themselves. You walk around and look at the buildings and what do they have? People's names on them, right? Because they want to be eternal. They want their name to live on far longer than they will live. And they do it in the form of cities. You, you go all over the world, there's... God has been very gracious to me and allowed me to travel and see all of these different cities. And and I'm excited to take a group of you to Israel to see that city and and some of the cities surrounding it. And like, it's just amazing to see how much variation there can be. Just like with this room, (laughs) God has created so much variation. You, You see that same variation in the world around us. I think about the major cities in the United States, New York, right? The city that never sleeps. You got Chicago, the windy city, 
or murder capital of the world. Uh, right? But, but you, you have all these different cities that, that are trying to, to make a name for themselves. I think about places, crazy places, like Las Vegas. Not crazy probably for the th- reason you're thinking crazy. But crazy in the sense of, hey, let's go to the desert <laughs> where there's no water and build a massive city right next to a nuclear bomb testing facility where the fallout rained down on the ground. This, this sounds like a great place to put a city, right? And yet that's, that's what men and women did. They, they went and they went into the desert and they built this incredible city. And, and they're constantly trying to one-up each other in this city. Recently, uh, it caught my attention in the news, the, the most recent creation in Vegas. And I'm going to have to show you some video of it because I'm going to describe it, but I could not describe it in ways that I thought would be helpful to you. So there's this thing called the sphere and hopefully our technology will work. This new concert venue cost $2 billion, a little over $2 billion. It contains 1.2 million LED screens. It measures 366 feet tall and it seats just under 18,000 people. This is this, this globe can be animated with anything they want. And I know it's hard to see in this video, but those little tiny lights are the cars driving past it in the lower right. This, this place has a complete sensory experience. About 10,000 of the seats have haptics, meaning they, they can move, they can have cold, heat, wind. Scents can be blown in. The, the speakers in this, there's 16,000 speakers in this venue. And if you're there and you speak Spanish, just your section will hear Spanish out of those speakers while everybody else will hear English. It, it's incredible, right? What, what human beings will try to do and try to create to one up because Vegas is a place that's known for crazy things, right? And, and so here men in, in their hearts are trying to build cities that will Make a name for themselves. A, a city that will give them an eternal legacy. But this morning, in our text, in Psalm 47 and 48, God is being praised for building the ultimate city. And, and as amazing as this technology is, and you know me, I'm a computer guy, I like technology. This blows my mind. But this doesn't even begin to compare to the city that God is building. Our best, most amazing stuff will be like dust compared to what God is doing. I want to break up these uh Two Psalms with kind of four main points. First, God will cause all peoples to praise him. 
right? This fear will hold 17,000 people praising a musician, right? U2 was the first act to open this theater this month, right? And they were all praising U2. Now imagine the entire world praising our God. Second, everyone should sing songs of praise when they see this city. Third, the, the God is building the best city ever. And fourth, the city is founded on God's loving kindness. So God will cause all peoples to praise him. Everyone should sing songs of praise. God's building the best city ever. And the city is founded on God's loving kindness. Again, just to kind of bring you into where we're at, Psalm 45 was celebrating the king. Psalm 46 is is speaking of the hope for the city that will stand after the earth gives way when the Lord remakes the whole world. Psalm 47 is about the nations of the earth praising God as the great king over all the earth. And Psalm 48 is is singing the presence, to to sing the presence of God in the city of God. So first, my first point, God will cause all peoples to praise him. Psalm 47.1, clap your hands, some peoples. Is that what it says? No, clap your hands, all peoples, right? This isn't just about the nation of Israel. Even though an Israelite is writing this, this is not just for them. This is, this is something much bigger that the psalmist has in mind. It's, it's the idea of the entire world praising our king. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Psalm 47.1 picks up right where we left off last week in Psalm 46. If you remember, we were invited there at the end to behold the works of the Lord. What do you do after you behold the works of the Lord? Psalm 47.1 says, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Because you see the goodness, you see the kindness of what God has done. And it leads you to spontaneous praise. Saying in that flow of thought, we're invited in our psalm in verse 2 to meet the fearsome high king who's over all the earth. In verse 2. And this makes sense when we consider the last psalm. This king was unmaking the world. This is not fearsome in the sense of run away. This is fearsome in the sense of the power in which he yields with just a word. The mountains are thrown into the sea. The nations of the world crumble. He puts an end to to death and war. And so he alone is to be exalted. What's described in these verses is not just God's common, ordinary blessings. And listen, there are thousands if not millions of those but such a blessing that will fill the entire world with just incredible joy and stir up the minds of all the men to to celebrate and praise God he adds later that all nations were brought into subjection to him and this this mustn't be understood as a slavish 
subjection. But a subjection which is more excellent, more amazing, more to be desired than all the kingdoms of the world. Because it would be unnatural for those who were subdued and brought to submit by force and fear to then leap with joy. That, that's not what's happening here. It's not this slavish subjection of, oh, I'm God, you all have to bow down to me. No, it's, it's the opposite of that. It's, it's seeing a righteous judge who judges righteously, who does away with death, separation, disease, murder, war. All of that is gone. And we praise him and we sing to him. The nation of Israel had seen so many ups and downs. And there's no doubt that that what's being celebrated here is the grace of God. And to strengthen the hearts of the the godly during a a period of time until the advent of Christ, the, the nation of Israel had fallen into decline. It would be hard for them to have a reason to have joy. Their their temple is gone. Their their nation is in ruins. They can no longer taste the flavor of God, if you will. This period of time between the death of Solomon and the coming of Christ, this, this formed a large gulf of time. And this long delay would, would create... A, a depression in the, in the minds of even the godly of, Oh Lord, when? When is this suffering going to be over? And it would, it would swallow them up whole if it were not for the word of God. And that's, that's what the psalmist is trying to call them back to, remind them to, is there is a day coming. It doesn't look like it now. It looks dark now. It looks dreary now. It looks like there's no hope now. But there's a day coming. When all of this will be over. Just as God had done with the previous person of David as king. Who himself was a a type of the kingdom of Christ. The Holy Spirit is now encouraging the faithful in this psalm. To continue to clap their hands until the day of Christ's return. See we too like the Israelites can, can get down. We can get depressed. We can get discouraged as we see friend after friend pass away. I'm in a Facebook group with my graduating class. And I told Amber, I think I'm going to have to leave this group. And she said, why? I said, because the only time anybody posts is when one of us die. And it's depressing. Right? Like the old joke, you see somebody and you see some old guy and then you remember you went to school with them. It's like, come on, like we're, we're all fading away here. We're all dying. And it can get very discouraging. To, to think about the amount of loss, to think about the, the people who are getting sick and who are struggling and who are fighting for their lives. It can get easy to fall into despair. It, it can get easy to fall into a place into which we have no more joy to worship with. But yet the psalmist is reminding us that when we plant our eyes not on our present life, but on our future life. That there is a time coming in which we will all celebrate and there will be no more 
struggling, no more depression, no more death, no more disease. On that day, God will be praised by everyone. And they will break out in song, which is our next point. We see this in verses 6 through 7. Everyone should sing songs of praise, 6 and 7. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Did you hear me? Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. Now, it's always important when God repeats himself. Here we have the psalmist repeating it five times. That that we are to be singing praises to our God. The whole earth is being addressed here. For God is the king of all the earth and we are to sing praises to him. The psalmist wants everyone to sing a, a mascal, that is a sing a song that causes wisdom. The psalmist wants everyone in the world to declare the truths about God in song. Just like what is being done here in the Psalms. And the psalmist is speaking here to, when he talks about a, a mascal, is, is, is somebody who has a, a knowledge of the art of music. And while not all of us can write songs, we can all sing them. And, and God is encouraging us to, to both, if, if we are able to write those songs that communicate the truths of God and who He is, But regardless of whether we have that musical ability or not, we are all to sing songs that that praise Him, that bring wisdom about who He is and His character. Knowledge of what is sung is required as well of us. This is not just us singing songs because they sound good. This is us Singing songs that we understand in order that we can be engaged properly in singing praise lest we blaspheme the name of God in our songs. We have to be careful about the songs in which we sing because not all of them praise Jesus. A lot of them, when you really sit down and read them, praise us and focus on us and not Him. And so... Because of that, we have to be careful of the songs that we sing, that they are theologically accurate. That they communicate the wisdom of God and who He is. Notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 15. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. It is important for us to understand what we are singing, not just to sing. That's what Paul is saying here by, by clarifying that we will sing with our mind. Oh, but people, we also need to sing with our spirit. When we sing, we need to give it all to God. We need to let 
go and what, when, when what we are singing brings honor and glory and promotes the wisdom of God, then we need to turn the volume up and we need to let go and we need to shout to the Lord the glory of our King. Jesus has come. He is the conquering King. And while we wait and look forward to that day, we, we're not just sitting around in our heads We are also moved in our hearts to praise Him and to worship Him. So we are to sing songs that praise our God. The third point is that God is building the best city ever. Verse 8, as we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts. In the city of our God, which God will establish forever. And then he invites the people in verses 12 through 14. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number the towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels. That you may tell the next generation that this is God. Our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever the point the psalmist is trying to make here is that the city is not to be equated with god but that the glory of god is revealed in the city that he is creating the city is made possible because of god's power it is only he who has the ability to unmake the earth and remake the earth And to shield his city from that process. The the sheer power of that is something we cannot even fathom. This is the same God that as these Israelites would have sang this psalm. They would have thought about the power of God that brought them out of Egypt. The, The same God that that enabled them by his power to conquer Canaan. This same God to defeat the nations by His power, not their power. Right? I'm I'm reminded of the story of selecting the Israelite soldiers and in in that soldier, it's like, or that story, it's like, don't get the smart ones, get the dumb ones. Because I want everybody to know you ain't doing it. I'm the one doing it. So if they're smart and they're strong, leave them behind. Because I want everybody to know that it's your God that has the power. It's not your numbers. It's not your fighting skills. It's your God. It's also their God that sustained them in the land as well. Now in verse 8, one theologian commented that there is an implied contrast here between the time of the law when God confined his kingdom within the boundaries of Judea and the coming of Christ when he extended it far and wide so as to occupy the whole world from one end to the other. So the time of the law, the kingdom is relegated to Judea and and that region and that area. But now the psalmist is wanting us to see that there is a time coming when that 
promise to Abraham that every nation would be blessed through this people. That they would all be worshiping Him. That that time is coming. When the Redeemer, the Messiah, the one that they could not imagine, but the one that we know as Jesus Christ, when He would come, And die. See they were looking for a conquering king. They they were looking forward to the end. Not realizing there was a middle. You ever do that in life? You're so looking forward to the end. You forget there's a middle. You sign up to get a degree. And you realize later. Man I got to take 30 classes to get there. This, This is no fun. Right? That's what they did. They they, they were looking for the conquering king. They wanted to jump to the end of the story. They, they wanted to get to this place where all the nations bowed down. Not realizing that someone had to deal with sin. Someone had to deal with death. And that someone was Jesus. And because they were so busy looking for the conquering king, they missed the humble servant king that that came and lived a life just like you and I, except upholding the law perfectly, something we could never do. So praise God, he did it for us. And that we are buried with him and we rise with him when we put our faith and trust in him. God establishes this city forever. There there will be no more cities after this city. The same miraculous power that God made the world by speaking, brought Israel out of Egypt, and gave Israel the land will be on display in full force. And when God does the same with the new creation, we'll have a new exodus and a new conquest and an establishment of a new Jerusalem through a new David, his son Jesus. Fourth, finally, the city is founded on God's loving kindness. The psalmist encourages us in verse 9, we have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. The city of God has prepared for us, excuse me, the city that God has prepared for us to dwell in with him for eternity is a picture of God's loving kindness. The the Hebrew word there is hased. This is is his all-encompassing loving kindness toward his people, the church. And seeing the city in verse 10, the psalmist confesses that God's ultimate purpose has been realized. The Lord's name is praised to the ends of the earth. That's the ultimate goal, right? Way back in Genesis, that's what God wanted. a, A people that would image and rule and reign Him. And that He would be friends with them. That He would come and walk through the garden with them. 
that they would be his people and he would be their God. And the psalmist is saying there's a day coming where God will walk the streets of his city with his people because of his loving kindness towards them. Not because of anything we have done or can do, but because of his loving kindness to us. We see in this city the Lord's character on display that leads to joy and praise. Verse 11, the daughters of Judah are are called to rejoice in response to God's judgments. Again, just judgment wins God's God's, praise. Like, we struggle in every court ruling that we have. It is imperfect. Because the judge, for one, never has all the facts. It's just not possible. There's their story. There's their story. Truth somewhere in the middle. Right? You ever work in law enforcement? You'll understand that. Yeah. Everybody got a story. Unfortunately, they don't all match. <laughs> That'd be a lot more convenient if they did, right? And so just by the nature of humanity, even, even in the best judicial system where, where you have people arguing for their party's benefit, like e- even in the best case scenario, the judge doesn't know everything. But see, we have a judge that does know everything. He knows everything we think. Not just everything we do. See, a lot of us walk around and we go, well, we're pretty good people. God's kind of getting a deal with me. (laughs) But God knows how you think. God knows the murder you commit in your heart every single day you get into a car and somebody pulls out in front of you. Some of y'all laughing a little too hard back there. (laughs) He, he, He knows. He knows none of us are worthy but because of His loving kindness toward us. He has chosen to show us and express His grace to us this morning. So when we have just judgment, it leads us to praise. Right? You, you, you may have two parties walk out of a courtroom and one of them's praising because they won their case. But, but in this system, both parties are praising because both parties have failed. And it's only because of God's loving kindness will either party enter into this city. And that leads to praise because they both know we have failed. Steadfast love surrounds the presence of the Lord in His dwelling place. This verse declares that God's presence makes God's character visible to God's people. And when that happens, the response is spontaneous praise. Being in His presence creates joy for those who are hidden in Christ. It causes terror for those who are not. In response to the revelation of God in the city, 
the psalmist now invites us to explore this city for eternity. We, we serve an infinite God. And even if you got eternity, you're still going to be learning something new about Him a million years from now. Because He is infinite. In closing this morning, those made in the image of the Creator will never build a grander city than the one built by the one whose image they bear. It doesn't mean we give up and we stop trying to make our communities better. But we have to recognize that, that we are the image of Him. And the city that He's making, it, it's, it's going to make that $2 billion globe look like a you know, snow globe. Sitting on a shelf compared to what he is making. Nothing we build city-wise will ever outshine God's glory. And the city is how the Bible ends. If you jump over to Revelation 21, 9 through 27, in these verses we learn that the church or the bride of Christ is that city. Each one of you are living stones, the Word says, being made into the very city of God. The thing that displays His loving kindness and His glory for eternity is His church. It's the people of God. And I want to encourage you this morning just by way of application. If that's how you're going to spend eternity, why don't you start practicing now? Being a part of the body of Christ. I know it's easy for us when Life gets hard and we get discouraged and we are in despair to isolate and run away from the very thing that displays God's loving kindness to us. And my heart breaks because I, over the last 20 years, I've seen so many times when, when families start to drift away for various reasons and I see the heartbreak it causes them. Because they detached themselves from God's loving kindness here on earth. This morning, are you a part of this city that God is building? Are you a part of His church? This is, this is about putting your faith and trust in Jesus. This isn't about putting some money in a box. This isn't about showing up a certain amount of times a month. This is about having a personal relationship with your Savior. And understanding God's loving kindness by sending Jesus to us.
accepting what he has done for you on the cross this morning. Are you a part of the building, the city that God is building this morning? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your loving kindness. We thank you for the way in which you have demonstrated your love to us. And Lord, in a moment as we come and we partake in the Lord's Supper, we are portraying that love. As we take that bread that represents Christ's body that was nailed to a cross and and, and broken for us. And, And we dip it in the cup that represents the blood of Christ that was shed for us. Without those, Lord, we would be hopeless. We, we would be in fear of you. But instead, because of what Jesus has done, and because we have put our faith in what he has done, not what we have done, instead, when we are faced with your presence, it leads us to joy. It leads us to shouting and singing and clapping. And praising you. Father, I pray for anyone here this morning that doesn't know you. That this morning they would put their heart in your hands. That they would trust you and what your son Jesus Christ did for them to save them. And for those of us who have, Lord, and and maybe we've drifted away from the city you're building, God, that you would bring us back. Knit us back into the family of God. And allow us to experience your loving kindness here in this life as we will for eternity. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name.